Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. The Doobie Brothers episode of the second season of Influenced. My name is Blake Sokoloff. I'm Robert Dean, and we are doing the Doobies. Probably one of the most quintessential 70s bands up there with like Leonard Skinner and some of those other bands. Well, there's a, yeah, we could go down the list, right? Oh, yeah, but, for you sure. know, that Listen to the Music was their first hit. Yeah, definitely. Summer of 1972. Yeah, that's a, that's a great song. And that's off their. Off their second album, so we want to get kind of into the into the history of the band a little bit. And just for a for fair warning, we're gonna get into a lot of members uh, <laughs> over this podcast. I mean, the Doobie Brothers is kind of famous for having like I think it's something like twelve or thirteen official members kind of throughout their career. So there's gonna be a it, lot of a lot of names going in and out of this of this episode, but, and only and only one. Only one member, yeah, Patrick Simmons, that was there the entire time. Yeah, so one consistent member, and it and the band does definitely start out with a kind of duo partnership between Patrick Simmons and the other kind of original frontman of the band, Tom Johnston. Right. Their sort of musical genesis happened in in kind of early seventies California, like a lot of musicians in that decade. Like they, a lot of them, like Pat Simmons, had kind of made his way to California as like kind of a, a hippie kid at the end of the 60s and kind of just wound up there as kind of a folk folk guitarist and folk singer. And he started hearing about this house that a bunch of musicians and hippies lived in, including Tom Johnston and John Hartman, who were kind of the other two original Doobie Brothers. And Tom Johnston and John Hartman had actually had like a kind of a, a very loud, very raucous kind of three-piece power pop band very inspired by the kinks that they just called pug so we're gonna play like one of their biggest influences right here which was the kinks you really got me obviously one of the biggest hits um by by the the kinks kind of a a mid-60s classic i would say but here's you really got me Good example of great, the great background lyrics and you know sound that the Kinks had and the Doobies obviously picked up on. That's definitely. I mean, that's kind of the, the one of the main things that really brought the Doobies to kind of musical attention generally is when when Patrick Simmons kind of got into that fold. The um, like he, Pat Simmons was also an, an incredible like finger pick and folk style guitarist. Pat started jamming with Tom Johnston, who was a very like kind of rock and roll chugga 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 rhythm guitarist like very very loud very rock that that kind of combination of that kind of folk finger picked very precision based guitar playing meshed really well with tom johnson's very rhythmic propulsion based rhythmic guitar so they started jamming and playing shows and they they attracted like kind of a really really intense biker crowd like they made really good friends with uh, a lot of the hell's angels Mm. at the time they were playing at a lot of biker bars and places like that in california so like these bikers would show up and they'd be like the doobies would be would be playing they'd have these like crazy loud dual guitars because both both tom johnson and patrick simmons um, were very very great guitarists and like kind of had like a really cool kind of dual lead 
guitar sound that would become a staple of their kind of the the Tom Johnston Simmons era of the Doobie Brothers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to play here real quick a song. This was actually off of their third album. This is the song China Grove, which is kind of one of the best Mm -hmm. examples of that like raucous kind of guitar duo style that Pat Simmons and Tom Johnson really became known for. And at this point, the band had really kind of expanded their their sound to to kind of get what they wanted in the studio. Like they the band was kind of notably not super happy with the way their first album turned out. So they yeah. actually shuffled around a couple band members, brought in kind of the the guy who would become their the bass player for most of the uh, band's career, Tyrion Porter, who is an incredible bass player and a great backing vocalist as well. And they also decided to kind of expand their rhythmic power by adding a second drummer, which became mm-hmm. a, a major trademark of the Doobie Brothers sound and their just look on stage, which is which was a crazy stage setup with two drummers and, and everything. So that was really big kind of part of the um, Doobie's expansion. But here's trying to grove, which is the kind of culmination or one of the culminations of kind of the hard rock early doobie brothers sound and this was off of their third album the captain and me There's your quintessential Doobie Brothers song, a uh, little song about Texas. Definitely. I mean, it's a, it's a great song about about Texas from a, from a California rock band. <laughs> exactly. Like, what did I they mean, know about Texas? They I knew mean, something about it. I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, the Eagles are writing a ton of yeah. a ton of fake fake southern hits from their from their beach houses in California. So, it would I mean, that's definitely another kind of trademark of I think 70s mm-hmm. 70s rock is just like writing about Texas, writing about the yeah, south, yeah. you know, like Blackwater. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and that, that that's a very good segue into kind of one of the actually honestly one of the reasons the Doobie Brothers became such a um enduring band because they they the Doobie Brothers have kind of always been a band that's like teetered around, especially because of how many people just come and go from that band. Like there's a lot of kind of stresses. And they also, throughout the whole 70s, they played, they were almost entirely constantly on the road. Like that yeah. that band toured yeah. nonstop, which also kind of puts a lot of stress on, on band members. So I've read a lot of interviews that they were kind of coming off of a tour they weren't super happy with. And like their their second and third albums had kind of been they were very they were a lot happier with the way those albums had been made and recorded and written, but they they still weren't quite selling the way they really really wanted to. But then they got off this tour and were kind of just told by their manager who kind of frantically called them one day and was like, "Hey, just so you know, next week you guys are going to have a a number one hit with Black Water, hmm. um, which was written by Pat Simmons and it was actually like a B side to a single they had released earlier that year. And all of a sudden, Black Water got kind of placed in a couple just radio station playlists around around the Midwest, and that just snowballed into hmm. just becoming a global hit. And it's got a great chorus that's a lot of fun to sing along to. And it's kind of one of the quintessential, I would say, like campfire songs. Yeah. It's a classic. And it really showcases Pat Simmons kind of folk guitar Definitely. playing and like one of the biggest kind of things that he brought to the Doobie Brothers other than being like kind of their consistent member and like the soul of the band, really. Um, so here's Blackwater, which was the first Doobie Brothers number one hit. And I think 1973. 74, actually. 74 yeah. was when it was when it hit number one. Yep. Oh, black water, keep on rolling. Mississippi moon, won't you keep on shining on me? Oh, black water, keep on rolling. Mississippi moon, won't you keep on shining on me? Oh, black water, keep on rolling. Mississippi moon, won't you keep on shining on me? Yeah, keep on shining your light. Gonna make everything great. Mama, gonna make everything all right. 
Chicago, but I feel right now I'm in the southern United States just watching the Lazy River. Oh, definitely. Flow on by. It's definitely, it's a, <laughs> I mean, that's a great Bayou track for sure. That song specifically really kind of catapulted the um, the doobies to a whole nother kind of realm of um, touring and shows and just, I mean, they were already on the road almost 24-7, but now they were on the road like... 24-7, including Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and one kind of unique thing about that song that I think hooked a lot of people is if you haven't – if you're not really that familiar, our listeners may not be totally familiar with that exactly, song. It's yeah. from, you know, 1974. It's a little exactly. old. Later in that song, if you happen to have a stereo with two speakers, so you have separation – like we do here in the studio, Abby Cat. Later on in the song, there's just like a ton of separation going on. And I just, I think people riding around in their cars and they had listening to it on FM radio heard that separation and just sort of went nuts over it. Oh, definitely. I mean, like that actually goes back to a, a point um, on, on China Grove too. Like that's definitely something the Doobie Brothers played with a lot. Like if you listen to China Grove, like it's actually... In the uh, entire right speaker is Tom Johnston's guitar, right. and then the entire left speaker is Pat Simmons' guitar, which mm -hmm. kind of creates a very cool mishmash of sound going back and forth between the different kind of rhythmic styles and the different kind of intensities that they're each playing. And that also kind of goes to show, like, the the Doobie Brothers were definitely getting more and more interested in, like, the the ways that music production was kind of opening up and expanding in the and well, mid to late 70s, uh, especially with their, like, kind of third to like fourth albums when they were really kind of exploring a lot of that kind of stuff. They got more comfortable recording in the studio and were actually like, Hey, what if we kind of played with some things that made these songs sound way more exciting? So that kind of stuff definitely kind of shows you that the doobies were definitely expanding their musical kind of tastes, even if like their music tastes might seem to some at this point, especially like sort of, just simplistic rock and blues influences with some Southern rock and country in there. But, yeah. but by 74, 75, they really started expanding their sound, which also kind of came from maybe nabbing a few members from, from Steely Dan, starting with their guitarist, Jeff Baxter, who, mm -hmm. who joined the Doobie brothers in 1974 as what they wanted to be kind of their third guitarist because <laughs> both Pat and Tom were were singing a lot of singing a lot of songs and they wanted someone who could kind of be playing a lot of the leads and things like that just constantly throughout their show so they they brought in Jeff Jeff Baxter who goes by Skunk Skunk uh Skunk Baxter who made some made a pretty big name for himself in Steely Dan like he he plays on a lot of their uh, all pretty much all their albums through Pretzel Logic but he he's one of the things he's most known for in Steely Dan is playing the guitar solo, the kind of lead guitar, and the obviously the solo for one of Steely Dan's biggest hits, actually, Ricky Don't Lose My Number, uh, one of the singles off of their uh, 73, I believe, album, 74, excuse me, uh, album Pretzel Logic. Um, and so here's Ricky Don't Lose My Number, kind of the lead guitar solo section played by Jeff Baxter. So... Here you go, Rookie Don't Lose My Number by Steely Dan. When you get home was a great pickup by the Doobie Brothers. Definitely. And I, I mean, that kind of his his very flashy, very in-your-face lead guitar was definitely something that the the Doobies started ex executing in, in their songs as well. And, and Skunk was also just a very accomplished kind of multi-instrumentalist as well. Like he actually had made some appearances before 
uh, becoming an official member, playing some sly guitar and things like that on on albums like um, Captain. And what once were vices are now habits. Probably the biggest um the biggest steal i would say the the doobie brothers made from from steely dan was when they nabbed the keyboardist and vocalist michael mcdonald who joined the band kind of as tom johnston had been having some personal issues and health issues like he had had um some issues with ulcers kind of his whole life like since he was a kid in high school but the kind of long time Constant touring and just eating fast food and mm-hmm. probably doing a little bit of cocaine didn't play well with Tom Johnston's health. So he kind of needed to kind of four, three or four days into what was at that point their biggest tour ever. He had to drop out and because he was just throwing up and he started throwing up blood yeah. and some very, pretty serious medical major, issues. Major health problems. Yeah. So so they kind of were left at the beginning of a tour with without a lead singer and Jeff Baxter, who they just obviously picked up from Steely Dan, was like, hey, there's this guy I've been, I played with in Steely Dan. I think he's kind of just doing his own thing, like playing some playing some bars and playing kind of just as a singer-songwriter here. We could, I could call him up and <laughs> say like, hey, you're in the Doobie Brothers now uh, if you want me to. And the band was like, yeah, bring him over. We need, we need somebody. So I think it was like one of these situations, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, the Doobie Brothers are thinking, can we really get Michael McDonald? And Michael McDonald's like, could I really be a Doobie Brother? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, the Doobie Brothers at that, at that point, like Peg had been recorded, which I'll play in just a second, which was kind of the song that brought Michael McDonald to a lot of people's attention because the backing vocals, which he he is the only sole backing vocalist on that song, Peg. So there's like three or four layers of Michael McDonald in those backing vocals. Yeah. And it's. It's fairly iconic. So here's here's Peg off of the Steely Dan album Asia, which is definitely, I would say, what ended up being Michael McDonald's audition into the band. Yeah. But here's Peg. <laughs> So there's a story that Tyrion Porter has told a few times in some interviews that talks about like when Michael McDonald got off the plane to to start rehearsing with the Doobies and he he sets down at his at his Rhodes piano that he, they had set up for him. They're like, "All right, can we can we just hear you s- sing something or whatever?" So he just he goes right into a version of I think it was actually a version of China Grove that mm. he had he had been kind of playing as just like a singer songwriter, like he had been playing a couple Doobie songs in his mm. his set. So he launches into a version of China Grove, and immediately like Tieran and all the other guys were like, "That's the voice! <laughs> like that's the voice we want!" Like you can hear in that and in, in Peg, like that he's got such a depth and such a clarity to his voice. That's definitely a very it's a very rare voice, yeah. I would say for sure. He was also very aware that his musical approach had been very different to what the doobies had been doing uh kind of prior and he was kind of like oh i hope they don't hate me as i come in and kind of change this southern rock band into kind of more of an r&b more motown influenced band like like michael mcdonald was very influenced by a lot of bands like the spinners and the temptations which i'll play a, a track from the spinners here real quick here's it's a shame which was a very famous single by the spinners and kind of illustrates that that very clear motown sound that that uh michael mcdonald was very influenced by it's a shame the way you mess around with the man it's a shame the way you hurt me it's a shame the way you mess around with your man I'm sitting all alone by the telephone, waiting for your call. When you don't call at all, it's a shame the way you mess around with your man. It's a shame the way you play with my emotions. It's a shame the way you mess around with your man. 
Yeah, I mean, as the Doobies headed into uh, the next album, taking it to the streets, you can hear it. Uh, you can just hear that influence on. Oh, definitely on that album. Definitely, and I mean, it's it's, and I've I've also heard from interviews with the with some some of the members of the Doobies at the time. Like this was a, I mean, it was a pretty major change for them. Obviously, it was a major change for Michael and the the rest of the Doobies themselves. Like. The, the music that they started writing with with Michael on board was a lot more orchestrated and a lot more like there were there were horns appearing on some songs. They were maybe bringing in string players, background, a lot more background singers, other keyboardists and and musicians and things. So where before they had been very much like a loud rock band that's doing a lot of like jamming and extended guitar solos and things like that. And if you've got if you've got to make room for horns and pianos and and things like that in your music you're not necessarily going to be as freeform in the studio so that was definitely that took some getting used to for a few members of the band and actually shortly after michael mcdonald joined the band uh, michael hosack who had been the um original second drummer of the band kind of kind of just decided he had had kind of had enough mm-hmm. like he he had had enough of the of the band changes and of just like the, 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 the new sound. And I don't know if he really felt like he had a place in, and the doobies with, with kind of their new, their new kind of sound and then what they were heading for. And, and Tom Johnston was kind of also found himself in a strange place, mm-hmm. having, having sort of recovered from some of his health issues to the point where he was able to at least join the band in the studio again. Now that Michael was around, there were now like, Three, sometimes even four, because Tieran would sing some songs as well. There were four kind of singers in the band yeah. and three or four people who were kind of vying for that frontman role. So they do kind of talk about how the recording of the Take It to the Streets album was a little bit of like some of the guys kind of dancing around each other in the studio just because they don't want to step on each other's toes. And Michael was very aware he was the new guy, but also very aware that he wanted to yeah. be a successful musician and put his best foot forward. So Tears Take It to the Streets, which kind of was the first single that really illustrated the kind of new chapter that the Doobie Brothers were kind of heading on with with Michael McDonald in the in the driver's seat now for the most part. So here's Take It to the Streets off of their album, Take it to, Taking It to the Streets. You don't know me. Yeah, still the doobies with the great background vocals, but what a different sound. And, and uh, the other big hit on that album was it, Ke- it Keeps You Running with also a major feature for Michael McDonald. Definitely. I mean, like he he kind of wrote the two biggest hits on that album. And actually, like, if you look at their discography, the next three albums, which are obviously starting with Taking It to the Streets and then Living on a Fault Line and right. then Minute by Minute are all named after Michael McDonald written songs. Mm-hmm. So that definitely goes to show you how big his presence became in the band kind of almost overnight. And how quickly, yeah. Exactly. Right. And like that definitely like on once they started kind of playing shows and going on the tour for taking it to the streets, like Tom Johnson sort of started feeling like, oh, he I even know if I really belong right. in this musical environment. Like I just don't know if there's much for me to do. And like Michael's kind of the new lead singer, so I'm not really the lead singer anymore. So after the tour of taking it to the streets, uh, Tom Johnston did decide to hang it up from the Doobie Brothers for the longest time that he ended up hanging up from the Doobie Brothers. Like it was a it was a good five or six year break that he decided to take after after that album. And for that time, he kind of considered it leaving the band officially like he wasn't considering it necessarily a a break per se. He was kind of looking at it as, oh, I'm leaving the band. That also definitely um, set the stage for what would become the kind of 
next few years of the Doobie Brothers kind of career. And like, I'll play the title track off Living on a Fault Line here real quick. Kind of the next big hit for the band, which again was a very, very, very Michael McDonald led song and kind of album. I mean, like the album, the the song itself, Living on a Fault Line, is a co-write between Pat Simmons and Michael McDonald. And Pat does have some some vocals in the in the first verse. But Michael sings the rest of the song and sings some great harmony vocals. So it definitely goes to show you how much Michael was kind of putting into the band. And and take uh, Living on the Fault Line also has the most Michael McDonald lead vocals of any Doobie Brothers album, I believe. Of the 10 songs, he sings lead on seven and um, like kind of co-lead on another song. So there's only two songs on the album that Michael McDonald does not sing lead on. So here's Living on a Fault Line off of the 1977 album, Living on a Fault Line. Yeah, that uh, good album. It was kind of one of the few Doobie Brothers album albums that didn't actually have a top forty hit on it. But it was a, I think, I think music people liked that album. Oh, definitely. Was, I mean, that's definitely one of my personal favorite Doobies. That yeah, Doobie Brothers I mean, it's just really sure. really holds together well. And they did a Marvin Gaye song on yeah. there, "Little Darling." Yeah, that, that's very true. And I mean, that definitely goes to show exactly how intense the R and B. Um, Influence had become like worth to where they were literally covering covering songs by some of the best R and B artists of all time. Right. So and that and that all that album also live in all fault line. Like Pat Simmons has said, the reason the band really liked that kind of song title and concept for an album is because being in the Doobie Brothers sort of almost felt like living on a fault line because Mm. they were kind of a a chameleon of musical styles and just like so many people went in and out of that band. So you were always kind of living on a fault line of like, oh, we're on tour and then we're recording and then on tour again with a new drummer and Mm -hmm. a new guitarist and something like that. So there was a lot of change and they almost kind of the core guys in that band definitely sort of felt like they were we're living on a fault line to to so to speak and kind of i would say as a as a um result of that album n- not necessarily having any hits as big as the hits on taking it to the street michael definitely started feeling a lot of the kind of pressure right, of like sure. i've got to deliver and i don't want to i don't want to get fired from this <laughs> band that has all this go through of of guys so Michael was like, I like being a Doobie Brother. I like being a professional musician. So I really have to, whatever our next album is, I have to make sure it's like uh, the most I can put into any anything as a musician. So the next album, which which is their which is their nineteen seventy eight album, yeah. Minute by Minute, was kind of the the most involved Michael had ever been in the studio and kind of directing the the other doobies. Tier and Porter has said in interviews that they they probably did What a Fool Believes, one of the, the singles on that album uh written by Michael. They probably did fifty takes of that song. I believe it. Uh just because Michael was such a perfectionist. Such a perfectionist about what he what he wanted. That album also continues Michael's dominance as the main creative force of the of the band. It also kind of marks a uh, a level of control that Michael hadn't necessarily had on songs before. Um, like to really just make the songs how how he was conceiving them in his head, which actually started to become a big issue between specifically between Michael and Skunk Baxter. Potentially because they had known each other both prior to joining the Doobie Brothers, so maybe they felt like, maybe Jeff felt like he had more of a a right to criticize Michael than some of the other guys in the band, and maybe Mm. vice versa as well. But it actually goes to show that, like, for a band with three guitarists, like the the song Minute by Minute actually does not, the recording of the song does not actually feature any 
guitar from any of the any of the guitarists in that band and from for a band which which features like generally like three prominent guitarists like that's it to have zero guitar on one of their bigger recordings was definitely definitely a departure for the band and so i'll play minute by minute here real quick which is kind of a very quintessential michael mcdonald led track with just kind of him and Taryn porter's vocals being the um main kind of draw of the song so here's minute by minute by the doobie brothers off of their album minute by minute from 1978 Yeah, so maybe that was a song that did it, you know, in terms of the bitterness between Skunk yeah. and Michael. I mean, hey, Skunk, go hang your guitar on the on the wall for a few days. We're not yeah. going to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. So after kind of minute by minute before the band decided to go on tour for that album, Skunk announced that he was he was leaving the band. And also, I think prior to joining or prior to the recording of Minute by Minute, um, kind of because of all the kind of changeover after. After Tom Johnson had kind of officially left, John Hartman, who had kind of also been the original first drummer of the band, left as well, mm. uh, which led them to bring in Keith Knudsen, who kind of became their main drummer and kind of um, one of actually the one of the actually the main vocalists, backing vocalists at least for for the later albums, Minute by Minute, and their and their last album, One Step Closer. Uh, so. That kind of change around definitely put the um, doobies in a weird place. And so they were going on tour for minute by minute. And the last tour that Skunk Baxter went on was about a week and a half to two week tour of Japan Mm. that the doobies went on for during the minute by minute tour. And just I think Michael and Jeff really were kind of coming to a head at that album and or on that tour and and it it seems like from from what i can gather like it really came down to the fact that jeff started just like which i can understand having been in the band for probably 5 or 6 years at that point he started just like noodling around and being like just not playing what his parts were live mm-hmm. he would just start playing kind of whatever he felt like playing oh, wow. which really just got in yeah. into michael's gears when michael was just like hey play play straight or play what we wanted you to play. Just play the blues part you're playing for this song instead of just like shredding, like you're playing some like acid rock or something like that. So that kind of relationship deteriorated and skunk left the, left the band in that kind of in the middle of the minute by minute tour, which sort of put the band in uh, weird spirits uh, sort of until they got back from that Japanese tour. And like, they were actually, they actually, I guess, for a few hours broke up on the plane back from Japan, like Pat Simmons and Michael got together and they were like, you know, I think we got to call it after this, after this tour. Mm. And then they get off the plane and their manager is like, Hey, what a fool believes has gone to number one. And you guys are eligible for like six or seven Grammys (laughs) that year. So they got back together. They got, they had a meeting and they were like, well, maybe we should keep this thing going. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to play what a fool believes here real quick, which is, again, a Michael McDonald song that he wrote, actually, with Kenny Loggins. But here's What a Fool Believes, the Doobie Brothers' second number one hit, and also the uh, song they won a Grammy for Record of the Year for. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's What a Fool Believes. Never coming near what you wanted to say
So What a Fool Believes was the band's Doobie Brothers from the whole history of the Doobie Brothers, the, the number one hit for that band. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's definitely their highest selling single. Definitely. And like, obviously they're the, it's the, I mean, it's a song they won a Grammy for. I, I do believe they won a couple Grammys for Minute by Minute as an album as mm-hmm. a whole as well. Uh, but there's actually footage you can find on YouTube or wherever, but it kind of illustrates the um, fraction in the, in the, in the band at the time. Cause when the, when the doobies all got called up for record of the year. Like, hey, the winner of record for the year is Doobie Brothers for What a Fool Believes. Skunk was there at the ceremony because he was on the Minute by Minute album, but he is the only guy who's sitting in that area that doesn't go up mm. on stage. Like, he didn't want to go up on stage. Really? Um, even though he's on the album and on What a Fool Believes, the song, um, he just didn't feel like he should go up on stage and wanted to kind of just sit back and say in the audience. So you can kind of see footage of that happening in in real time where the rest of the band gets up to go accept the Grammy and mm-hmm. give their speeches where Jeff Baxter just kind of hangs back and he's just like, I'm just kind of chill or whatever. So so that was kind of the end of his kind of relationship with the with the band and the Doobie Brothers, other than like some short reunions in the in the later 80s and early 90s. But um after the minute by minute album, they again kind of just got on the road for what felt like um, another probably year or two. Um, and they also, because they had had some people leave the band kind of after after Minute by Minute, they they ended up bringing in a few more Doobie Brothers for, for the next kind of record and then the, their last batch of touring, uh, which was uh, Cornelius Bumpus, who uh, as a, as a saxophone and keyboard player and John McPhee, not John McVie from Fleetwood Mac, right. John McPhee, uh, who had just been like an LA guitarist who had played in a few, few bands at that, at that point, but they brought him as kind of a lead guitar replacement for, for skunk, uh, which kind of solidified like what was kind of the last major incarnation of the Doobie brothers with Cornelius and John McPhee in the band. And that, is what kind of led to the uh, the band's kind of last album in their sort of original run. Like mm-hmm. they've had some they've had some albums as a as after they've reunited and things like that. But it led to their album One Step Closer, which was it, which was released in 1980, and it's the only official album to feature uh, Cornelius Bumpus as an official doobie. And for a, a long number of years, was the only official album to feature John McPhee as well um but i'm gonna play one step closer the title track of that that album just kind of to kind of illustrate where the doobies were sonically at that point because they really were like going fully into that um kind of r&b sound with with michael and especially with cornelius bumpus as well being a saxophone player i mean that's the only official time they had a horn player as an official member of the Doobie Brothers, so that mm-hmm. definitely shows you kind of where they were at with the um, with the band at that point. So here's one step closer off the album of the same name from Yeah, and you know the Michael McDonald version of the Doobie Brothers, especially that later stuff, the '78 and oh, 1980 yeah. albums. Um, you can kind of hear some of the influence that they had on some bands, like oh, definitely, definitely yeah. Dave Matthews, oh Blues yeah, Traveler, their friend Kenny Loggins. I mean, yeah. they just impacted a bunch of bands that and performers that were kind of coming out in the '80s. Oh, definitely, and I'll I'll play a a Carly Simon track, which is actually one of her biggest biggest hits but it's actually it's a it's a song she co-wrote in the uh kind of mid 70s with michael mcdonald but and there's actually is a version of the the song as a as a doobie brothers track 
um, yeah. uh, on living on the on living on, living on a fault line. Mm-hmm. But um, you belong to me ended up being one of Carly Simon's biggest kind of hits in that time frame, which kind of just illustrated how it, like how many people Michael McDonald was collaborating with and how in demand he was as a songwriter. And he, I mean, he was writing with everyone, like 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 Definitely. Bob just mentioned Kenny Loggins and like Carly Simon, and he was even collaborating with with artists as as diverse as like I'm pretty sure there's a, a there's a Van Halen track mm. uh, with a Michael McDonald co-write just because he was so in demand at that time. Mm. Uh, but here's "You Belong to Me" by Carly Simon, one of her biggest hits uh, from her 1978 album "Boys in the Trees." Yeah, big hit for Carly Simon all over the radio. But I would recommend to our listeners to maybe go back to back with the Carly Simon version and the Doobie Brothers version and listen to them back to back. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, like there's a lot of really great just differences between the two, but uh, you yep. can you can really hear the the soul comes through in in, in both versions. Mm-hmm. And both versions are great. I do just want to real quick because it is kind of just like a crazy musical collaboration i'll play real quick here uh the song i'll wait which was the van halen uh michael mcdonald collaboration from the album that van halen released in 1984 which was actually produced by ted templeman who was kind of the regular producer Mm -hmm. for the doobie brothers so that's likely how that collaboration wound up happening but still it's just so interesting to see that Michael McDonald and and the Doobies sound in general was just so in demand that artists as wide varying as Carly Simon and Van Halen were trying to get <laughs> in on the action, yeah. so to speak. So here's I'll wait. You got me Yeah, I don't think um, Michael McDonald was going to be able to get the guitar out of Eddie Van Halen's hands, but huh. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, but you can totally hear the influence there on definitely, Van Halen. especially with those like keyboards and those keyboard chord changes are very, very Michael McDonald. Just the, the rhythm and the the style there, and like one of the other kind of, I guess, more surprising ways in which the Doobie Brothers have kind of influenced music is. Their their music has actually ended up being being sampled by a number of both hip hop and electronic artists. Like um, uh, songs featuring Drake have actually used um, samples by the by um, from Minute by Minute. The the actually the 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 song that Michael wrote with Carly Simon, the Doobie Brothers version, uh, "You Belong to Me," was actually sampled by uh, Jay Dilla in 2016. So. There's a lot of kind of hip hop and um, electronics influences, or you would that's just not necessarily where you would expect the Doobie Brothers to pop up on a sample from a Drake song or something like that. But yeah. I'm also going to play um, a song by the Avalanches, another kind of favorite electronic artist of mine, who sampled actually sampled Black Water um, on a number of songs. But um, here is Subways by the Avalanches. Um, which samples black water. It's always kind of interesting to hear where the kind of Doobie Brothers music will pop up. Uh, and it's just very interesting to see 
them like samples of black water popping up in a song from 2016 from like a an electronic artist so here's subways by the avalanches which samples black water by uh from the 1973 doobie brothers album So it's very just, I mean, that's obviously not anywhere where near where you would think a Doobie Brothers song or album would, would, would pop up as a sample. And while it's not the whole band, I wanted to talk about a recent collaboration between Michael McDonald and actually one of the most uh, notable hip-hop instrumentalists and players kind of in the modern uh, musical industry, uh, Thundercat, who in his 2017 album, Drunk collaborated with Michael McDonald and actually Kenny Loggins as well, uh, Michael's uh, friend and the the co-writer of What a Fool Believes. But the song uh, called Show Show You the Way is a collaboration between Thundercat and Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins. And it's very interesting to hear Michael uh, show up on a very recent album. And this album only came out in 2017, uh, singing in a in a very different genre than he normally typically would like this is very much like an like a very modern r&b and hip-hop song so here's here's thundercat with michael mcdonald and kenny loggins It just definitely goes to show the kind of, I mean, how, how many people just love their music and their their music is definitely, um, I would say, fairly um, timeless in its in its age and and the way it's kind of permeated society. And it's actually pretty telling that, um, no, I mean, the Doobie Brothers have, have been in an on and off kind of touring band for the last like few years, but um I've actually honestly the last couple decades right uh kind of since the since the 90s they've kind of gotten back together a, a number of times for mm-hmm. various reunions and things but Michael McDonald actually kind of rejoined the Doobies for the first time I think really since since uh this al- this the one step closer album for an actual tour and I don't know if they've recorded anything with Michael yet new or anything but he's kind of an official Doobie brother yeah. again for the first time since since 1980, yeah. which is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, so I wanted to kind of leave, leave the, uh, podcast with the kind of the last top 10 hit the Doobie brothers ever had, which is off one step closer, but it's a song, real love, uh, written and sung by Michael McDonald. Um, kind of their, their, the, the, I would say the, the band leader or the, at least the front man for the last half of the band's kind of recorded career i i would say pat simmons is sort of the leader of the doobie brothers and yeah, that like i agree when the doobie brothers did sort of officially break up for five or six years it was actually because pat simmons started just realizing that there were more guys in the doobie brothers that were just going to work than were playing the songs for the love of playing the songs yeah. and that just kind of like as pat was kind of the original sole original member at that point i think that at that point he kind of just felt a little too alone and maybe a little not not necessarily the greatest about getting in the studio with a bunch of guys who were looking at it as like another their next paycheck or or whatever so he did kind of retire the doobie brothers for 
five or six years to kind of take a break and kind of re rejuvenate himself and everything like that. But the Doobie Brothers are definitely one of my favorite bands from the 70s. And I think definitely one of the most influential bands, especially with the way that like the Michael McDonald era Doobie Brothers kind of shaped a lot of the kind of 80s and 90s kind of R&B and, and rock sound and soul sound as well. So I wanted to kind of leave off with with real love from um, One Step Closer. And this has been um, the Doobie Brothers episode of the second season of Influence. So thank you guys so much for, for listening. As Thanks always. for listening. We appreciate it. Definitely. So here's real love. Have a great one. Okay.